We're continuing, as we heard, uh, on the theme of grace. So if you'd like to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you're following it in the Scriptures, that's where we'll be. Just to say, for Wendy and for me, it's been a wonderful uh, weekend with you. We're so grateful for your hospitality, uh, the warmth, the enthusiasm. It's like jumping into a warm bath uh, to come into your worship time and uh, to see Jesus so glorified, so focused on. He's the one who saved us. He's the one we delight in. And it's a thrill to join in and celebrate that. It's our privilege to travel. And it's always a huge blessing to come amongst the worshipping people. Uh, it's such a, uh, invigorates your spirit just to focus on Jesus. And we've found it such a joy. And not only in the meetings, but uh, meeting behind the scenes, just engaging with different ones. It's been such a blessing. So thank you. Thank you so much uh, for the way you've received us. I do pray that I can be a blessing to you in the Word this morning. I'm going to read a few verses from 1 Corinthians 15. We'll just look at the uh, first 10 verses, okay? 1 Corinthians 15. Now, I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what, also, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After this, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom remain until now, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecute the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me didn't prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Father, thank you for your wonderful, life-changing word. We thank you it sheds light. We thank you it cuts us free. We thank you it gives us a path to walk on. And Holy Spirit, we just ask you now to shed light on the word. Come and speak into our hearts. Come and do us good, Lord. We've gathered to you, Lord. We've gathered with a hunger to meet with you, to feed on you. Lord, we're not just doing our religious duty here this morning. We're eager to hear your voice. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray, and do us good in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we often talk about grace, as we have in the last couple of days, in connection with forgiveness, mercy, grace, not law, but grace. This morning, we're looking about grace and identity, all right? Grace and identity. So many people these days are wondering, who am I? Sometimes they're thinking, what am I on the planet for? How did I come to be here? What's the point of life? What's my purpose? And you know, you can even become a Christian and carry that in with you and think, well, I'm not sure why I'm here. I'm not sure who I am. And so grace and identity is a big deal. Yeah. And that's what this passage is about. And this is 10th verse that I want to particularly focus on this morning. By the grace of God, I am who I am. Now that's a, a phrase that kind of reminds you of the encounter Moses 
had with the living God in the Old Testament when this bush was suddenly full of fire and glory and he investigated and God spoke to him out of the bush. Suddenly this voice called him and he said, who shall I say has sent me? Who are you? And God says, I am who I am. Extraordinary statement, kind of undefined, uncreated, unthreatened. I am who I am. This amazing statement of God, kind of full of mystery and wonder, authority. I am who I am. And somehow Paul's statement, by the grace of God, I am who I am, has a kind of echo of that. Something amazing's happened to him. Something's transformed him, given a huge sense of security, a sense of purpose. God has brought me somehow into his world. I can, I can somehow echo something of the majesty of who he is. I am who I am. Now, if you'd asked Paul a little earlier, who are you? He'd have answered very differently. Before we meet Jesus, we've got a different answer. And you'll find he refers to it uh, in Philippians. He says, look, I, I was uh, beyond my brothers. I, I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. I, I'm, a, I, I'm a follower of the law. I'm a Pharisee. So his answer would have been what he had uh, accomplished through training, through study, through education. Also, the privilege of background. This is who I am. I was born into this. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, I've got all on my side. That would have been his answer, that I've got all many things to be proud of. Many of us might say, well, I've got a lot of things to be ashamed of. But this is where Paul was. This is who I am. Now, in the same epistle, he says, I count all that rubbish. In fact, he uses a more disgusting word than rubbish. He said, it's all, I won't say what he said, but it's like, it's just not worth thinking about. All that is trash. All this this, uh, accumulation of, uh, well, my background, my upbringing, this is who I am. No, he says, it's all nothing. It counts to nothing. Now, he's saying something very different. By the grace of God, I am who I am. Now, I've got an identity that's based somewhere completely different. I am not gaining my purpose or merit from my background or my accomplishment, all right? What's happened to him has changed all that. He's been set free from arrogance. He's been set free from self-importance because the grace of God has cut him loose. He says at one point, from, from now on, we know no one according to the flesh. We're not impressed anymore. It doesn't affect us anymore. In the body of Christ, we're not particularly impressed. That's what Paul says. I'm not impressed with myself. I used to be. I'm not anymore. Because now, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So he's cut loose from all that pride, all that self-importance, all that he would have answered before, this is who I am, make room for me. I'm, a tri- I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee. I was seating at the feet of Gamaliel. All this, no, no, it's irrelevant, not relevant anymore. No longer defines who he is. I heard a song when I was in South Africa once, had this, this line to it, on the cross there hung a man who redefined who I am. On the cross, there hung a man who redefined who I am. By the grace of God, I am who I am. It's a new identity. Now, Paul had another background. This background was that he was responsible. As he said, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. Why? I persecuted the church of God. I just read to you. He was present when Stephen the first Christian martyr was stoned to death. 
And Stephen was probably the brightest young star in the early church. In some ways, he seemed to be clearer than some of the apostles. It says the apostles were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer. It's like the apostle hadn't realized the temple's irrelevant now. We are the temple of the Spirit now. As Jesus said, not one stone will stand upon another. It's all coming down. Yeah. As he said to the woman at the well when she said, should we worship here or there? It says, doesn't really matter. It's worshiping in spirit or in truth now. It's a new day that's dawned. All that's finished. And the apostles were still going up to the temple. Stephen preached a phenomenal sermon in Acts chapter 7. And it's, they said he's speaking against this temple. He wasn't really. He was just talking about the wonders of what Jesus had done. He was powerful. No one could withstand the wisdom with which he spoke. Yeah. Also, he was powerful. Signs and wonders were done through him. I mean, wow, this is going to be such a leader. They killed him. They put him to death. They slaughtered him. They destroyed him. And Paul was the one most responsible. Yeah. It says they laid their clothes at his feet, which is saying he's the responsible one. Let's kill the guy. Kill Stephen. He's full of hatred of the church. And sometimes we can do things before we became a Christian, we're not sure, could I ever be forgiven for that? Maybe some of you think, well, I, I don't know, I, I so dishonored my parents. I so ruined that girl's life. I so messed up. I, I just don't know if I could ever be forgiven for that. And if, if there was one thing that Paul might say, I don't know if I could ever be forgiven, hey, he killed Stephen. But he says, look, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Grace brings definition to who he was. He's no longer this arrogant Pharisee. He's no longer this guilty guy who killed Stephen. He's been cut free. We've been singing about how he cuts us free. Beloved, the grace of God cuts you free. It doesn't only forgive you, it gives you a new identity, a new person, a new identity given to us by God. God loves to do that. You might say, can I ever be forgiven? But when God says it's over, you're forgiven. So Will you walk away from it? That kind of guilt, walk away from it. Walk free. Because Jesus sets us free and gives us a new identity. Grace tells me what God thinks of me. By the grace of God, <laughs> I am what I am. God has done an amazing thing. Now, God seems to love starting a game with people. So even in the Old Testament, you see Abram. Well, Abram, when God first met him, his name's Abram. And that means exalted father. That's what Abram means. I mean, that's a pretty embarrassing name when you haven't got any kids. <laughs> so I say, hello, how are you? I'm, I'm exalted father. Oh, you are? Uh, so, uh, yeah, I know, but I'm exalted father. God said, I'm giving you a new name. What's that? Father of a multitude, Abraham. Oh, wow, okay, father of a multitude. No, father of multitude said, can you count the stars? So many will your children be. Can you count the sand? So many will your children And Abraham believed God. And here we are, all children of Abraham, all around the world. That's what the Bible says. God made him a promise and changed his name. Changed his name. And he, and he believed that name. He took hold of that name. He said, God, you've said this. You've promised me this. And even when he has to offer up his Isaac, he said, oh, we will come back again. He believed in, even in a resurrection if necessary. He, he took hold of that new name. We find other people given a new name. We find Jacob, which means crook. 
Fancy calling your child cheat, supplanter, crook. That's what Jacob means. Born, oh, what are you? No, crook. I'll call you Israel. Israel? Me? Yeah, Israel. What's that? Prince with God. Wow. I start again? Yeah, you start again. With a new name, a new identity. You're a new person. This is who you are now. I change your identity. Do you hear this, beloved? When you become a believer, you get a changed identity. You are a new person. A new person. We need to understand this. The grace of God has done a radical thing in us. And it's here in the Old Testament again and again. You find it even in the New Testament. Simon, son of Jonah. I know your background. I know your dad. Son of Jonah. You will be Peter. Rock. You're going to be a rock. He doesn't look like a rock when you read the Gospels. But you read the Peter's epistle, you think, wow, what a rock. What a character. God changed him. Gave him a new name, and he became that man. I love, perhaps most of all, I love the story of Gideon. There's Gideon, who's a scared rabbit. He's hiding in a cave. He says he's threshing the wheat. Well, that's daft. You don't thresh wheat in a cave. You have to thresh it out like a, in Cape Town where the wind's blowing, so the chaff blows away, and you've got the good seed there. That's what you do. You do it in the open air, in the wind. He's doing it in a cave. And God goes in there and says, Oh, mighty man of valor. I expect Gideon's thinking, oh, Who's he talking to? I thought I thought was the only one here. No, no, no. This is your new name. This is your new name. And then he says this, Go in the strength of yours. Have I not sent you? Beloved, he's transformed from a cowardly guy to a guy who's got the courage to take just 300 people against tens of thousands. He's transformed. God gives him a new name. God gives him a new title. He says, you are a valiant warrior. That's who you are. The grace of God gives us a new identity. And here we find it in the scriptures, God changes our identity. He gives us a new beginning. We mentioned last evening, so I won't get into it greatly, but the caterpillar becomes a butterfly. It's the same creature, same creature. Goes through a, a metamorphosis. There's this caterpillar, goes into a kind of a death, comes out. A new creation. Now, if anyone is in Christ, behold, new creation. We need to get hold of this. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Grace is not just about forgiveness. It's about a new identity. We're now children of the King. You used to be darkness, now you're light in the Lord. You used to be a slave of sin, now you're a slave of righteousness. Amen? God used to be a sinner, now you're a saint. That's what the Bible says. We're saints. We're holy ones. God's given us new identity. We have to own it, grow into it, flex our muscles in it. I don't know what happens inside that thing with the caterpillar, but when it comes out, wings, color, flight. New person. New person. God's given us grace and a new identity. Okay, a new identity. He said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. In Isaiah, it says, you'll be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will give. I'm giving you a new identity. Now, in the same setting, he goes on to say, God gave me grace also for apostleship. By the grace of God, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, he said, we receive grace and apostleship. In 1 Peter 3, 10, I was given grace to be a wise master builder. We just need to see that 
the various ministries and gifts of the New Testament are also grace gifts. God gave Paul grace to be a wise master builder. God did that. It's not like, it's not like you, you, know, you all go away to theological training and you take your exams and those over 90% are apostles, 80% and above are prophets, 70% are evangelists, and the rest are pastors and teachers. It's God gives grace. And it's different grace. That's one of the great things we need to understand. With the, gift, the giving of the Holy Spirit, we can see a many-dimensioned church with lots of different gifts. The sad thing was, before the outpouring of the Spirit was rediscovered, if you like, in the church, there's kind of one guy, and he has to be everything. He's our pastor. We hope he can evangelize too. If he's a bit of a prophet, that's helpful. You know, it's all that, that guy. He's the man. It's a good church. He's got a good man. It's all that guy has to do it. And we look at the New Testament. Oh, no, no. Yeah. He's given these many, many gifts. Many gifts. And they're different gifts. So the, the evangelist has a skill to reap. I mean, he can just somehow, I heard Billy Graham say, I just watched a, a video of Billy Graham where we're staying, a lovely documentary about him, what a man he was. And he said this, he said, when I say I want you to get up out of your seat, I feel the power of God upon me. I thought, wow. He just knows, he knows I've been given the call. I've been given grace to call people. I can call them out. He knows he can do it. Now, sometimes the teacher sits there, you know, and the evangelist is doing his thing and he's preaching, and the teacher's thinking, he hasn't really explained the atonement. He hasn't really explained justification by faith. He hasn't really explained, oh dear, no one, no one will be saved, no because he hasn't explained it clearly. So the teacher is thinking, no, you need to explain it more clearly. And then the evangelist says, you come, and they all come, oh God, I'm coming to God. And the teacher says, how did that happen? Next week, I'll explain it more clearly. So next week, the teacher's not. I want to explain to you about uh, the atonement and justification by faith. And people say, hmm, it's good, it's interesting, very good, thank you, thank you. Now you come. Nobody moves, nobody moves. <laughs> Why? It's a different gift. God's given gifts. God gives, Paul says God gave me grace and apostleship. He gave me ability to be a wise master builder. The, word we, the Greek word is the word we get our word architect from. I can see the bigger picture. I know how to build it together. It's a different grace gift. By the grace of God, Paul says, I am what I am. It's not because I was a good Pharisee before. Not because I sat at Gamaliel's feet. I have to forget all that. That's rubbish. He said, now I want to forget that, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. It's by the grace of God, he is what he is. And these various gifts come. So Ephesians 3.2, Paul says, I have a stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. So apostleship isn't kind of marks on the shoulder, pips, you know, listen, it's my status, it's my office. No, God gave me gifts yeah. for you. Gave me insight to communicate. That's what Paul is saying. Grace to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Amen? So it's a grace. God gives his church grace gifts. Not that he's worthy, he said, by the grace of God. I am what I am. And not only these Ephesians 4 gifts, but many other places we, ref we see in Romans 12, for instance, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. So in a church, a many-membered church, we see gifts emerging. 
Again, we touched on that last evening, so I don't want to underline it too much. But 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Multicolor, God gives grace, God gives grace. One of our callings is to sort of read this or to discover what grace gift has God given me? Where do I fit in the body? What is the part I'm meant to play? And some of us, we have gifts of kind of prophetic revelation, sometimes a gift of administration. And we're not to set one above another. The eye is not to say to the ear, I have no need of you or the hand to the foot. No, we have all kinds of gifts. We need, we need gifts of people who say, I had this dream the other night, I think this, and the elders wait, and think, wow, that's important for us. But how are we going to do it? We need that gift of administration. We need all kinds of gifts in the body. And it's a grace thing. And we discover who we are as the body grows and as we press through. So Paul says, this, by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm fulfilling what God's given me to do. And then it says this, but his grace to me was not in vain. All right, just working through the verse, his grace to me was not in vain. What does he mean? Well, I've looked around in my concordance, a lot of places where it talks about being in vain. One of the ways we can make God's grace in vain is if we don't believe him. I love the call of Moses. You see, God comes to Moses, the burning bush, and Moses is called by God. But what do you find? Moses says this, I can't do it. Send somebody else. That's his response to God's invitation. He's going to be the mightiest deliverer in the whole of the Old Testament. God comes to him in an awesome way. He says, now come, I'm calling you. He says, no, send somebody else. I can't do it. That is God's grace coming to you and you making it in vain. And many of us do that, beloved. God wants to call you to do something. So I don't think I could do it. But it's not about you. It's about this grace he's going to give you. See, God has chosen, the Bible says this, God has chosen the weak things and the foolish things. In fact, the list is amazing. God's chosen the foolish, hasn't chosen many wise. If you've got a degree, you're lucky you're here at all. He hasn't chosen. (laughs) It says so. He hasn't chosen many wise. He hasn't chosen many mighty. He hasn't chosen many noble. So if you're a bit noble, you got in, well done. Not many of you will. I mean, it hasn't chosen many. God's chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the weak to shame the strong. God's done it this way. And so when you say, well, I don't think I could, well, that's going to be, many of us will do that because we feel, I'm very weak, really. Well, God's chosen the weak. But the whole thing is we respond to him. Because God wants to win the world for his son. God wants to build a great church here. God wants to impact this whole region, this growing impact. People moving in, people moving in, new houses going up. Jesus wants them for himself. He wants a great church. Well, it's made of people who say, I know I'm weak in myself. But God, but God. You look in that list in 1 Corinthians, it says, not many mighty, not many noble. And it goes right down. It says he's chosen the foolish He's chosen the despised. And this is this. He's chosen the things that are not. You don't get any lower than not. <laughs> when, you, when you see about Samuel is sent to Jesse's home. And he's told there's going to be a king there in Jesse's home. And Samuel, the national prophet, turns up. And, and Jesse presents his seven sons. 
And Samuel, he's walking almost immediately to Eliab, who's big like Saul was. He goes, and God says, no, 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 it's not the one. Oh, he looks, so, no, he's not the one. And he goes down the seven. And he says, what's the deal? And God's saying, no, no, no. He turns to Jesse. He says, Is the, are these all your sons? And he said, there's one outside looking after the sheep. Doesn't even say his name. Imagine, imagine if the national prophet's coming to your home. Or the big guy's coming. You know, the most famous guy in the nation's coming to your home. I want to meet your sons. One of them's, don't bother with him. He's looking after the sheep. He's looking after the sheep. Don't even get invited. And, and then the national prophet, this, this, this. So is there another one? Well, it's, as, it's as though David was not. He doesn't get invited. Oh, there's one more looking after the sheep. God chooses the things that are not to bring to naught the thing that is. Mr. Goliath very much is. He's not going to be for long because the guy who's not is going to bring him down. But it's grace that's given. Grace is given to the guy who's not. Beloved, we've got to understand it. You mustn't assess your... What is my identity? Well, my background isn't much. My education is pathetic. I was born the wrong side of the track. I really wasted my life. And then I did that. I don't know if I could get forgiveness. You mustn't be dogged around by that stuff. You need to get hold of the grace of God. Say, so I can hardly take this in, but thank you for a new start. Thank you for a new identity. See, it's not, it's not, oh, I'm an optimist. Nothing to do with optimism. It's God's recreative skill. God is a God of resurrection. He starts, God, I don't understand. I really don't understand it. It's like God loves starting again. I think, why did, when God wants a bride, why didn't he start with something pure and pure? No, I'd rather start again with a messed up people and make them my spotless bride. I don't understand it, but there's something about God who loves broken people like Simon Peter. When Peter says, oh, I've wasted you, Jesus comes up and says, Look, do you still love me? You know, Elijah says, let me die. He prays the suicide prayer. I don't know if you've ever been there. <laughs> Elijah, oh God, take my life away. Yeah. I'm no better than my brothers. God raises him up, raises him up. God loves resurrecting people. Maybe this morning you feel, I'm worth nothing. I'm worth nothing. It's like God said, great, that's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm looking for. See, Moses, you get the story of Moses. Moses, it says, he was a young prince. He's in the palace. He's made a big decision. I'd rather be identified with the despised people of God. That's a big decision. He's living as a young prince. He's mighty in word and deed, the Bible says. He's a tough guy. And he sees the despised Israelites outside, and he identifies with them. He goes out, and it says an Egyptian is mistreating a Hebrew. He goes out and kills the Egyptian. Slaughters him. Buries him. Goes back into the palace. Next day, he sees two Hebrews arguing. Goes out, bangs their heads together. What are you doing? What are you doing, your brothers? And they say, who made you a ruler over us? You're going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? This is Moses. Oh, it's known that I did it. Runs for his life. Runs for his life. 40 years in the wilderness. It's like he thought, I can handle this. I can handle this. I'll sort it. I'll kill the Egyptian. He's mighty in word and deed. 
We used to sing a song back in the missionary weeks. We used to do about my old Baptist church. They used to make a big appeal on the last night. And all these missionaries speaking on the last night, big appeal. Who will go as a missionary? And we used to sing this song, this old hymn. Just as I am young, strong, and free to be the best that I can be, oh, Lamb of God, I come. really appeals to the flesh. Just as I am young. And when he made this appeal, we had a great preacher called Stephen Alford. And he preached on this last night. I said, you come. And a lot of girls came forward. And he said, where are the men? I thought, I'm a man. Oh, dear. And there's God calling me. And, and I was very backslidden, really. But I thought, wow, this sounds exciting. Yeah. I can, this church is pretty old-fashioned. I can sort this out. Yeah. Just as I am, young, strong, and free. And I went forward. It's a bit like Moses. Moses in the, in the palace and says, you need to sort this out, God. Just as I am, young, strong, and free. I'll kill him off and kill him off. It's like God says, thank you very much, Moses. I'll see you in 40 years. Get in the desert. <laughs> After 40 years, God comes to Moses and said, no, I'm sending you. Oh, no, I can't do it. Oh, that's what I'm after. That's what I'm after. Not, I can do it. No, but I can't do it. Yeah. Well, you watch what you're going to do. Because I have seen the plight of my yeah. people. Yeah. Beloved, he sees the plight all around here. He sees what we just saw on the screen. He sees the need. God says, I have seen it. I have come down and I send you. That's a completely new deal. It's not Moses being young, strong and free. It's Moses clinging. Because God chooses the weak things and the things that are not to bring about his will. He makes us new people. Amen? So we, we, just, we need to receive. Don't let his grace come to you in vain. Don't say, oh, I can't do it. God chooses the weak people. He loves to do that. It brings glory to him. You think, how did God do that through her? How did God do that? Well, he's just, he can. He's so great. That's why we worship Jesus. Because he's so great. So he said, I won't let it be in vain. I'm not going to resist the grace of God. Secondly, let's not add legalism. Well, we did with that on the first night, so I won't, I'll just put it as a headline. Don't add rules that undermines faith. Don't go back to the law, it undermines grace. It's going to make grace in vain. As Paul says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, Christ died needlessly. You have been seeking to be justified by law, have fallen away from grace. All right? So he says, I'm not going to make his grace in vain, I'm not going to become a lawman. Right? That's the second one. We don't spend time on it because we spent a whole evening on it. But thirdly, on the flip side of that, something we need to say at a grace weekend, I'm not going to let license spoil grace. Yeah. What do I mean? 1 Peter 2, 16, act as free men, but don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. See, that's some people are very scared of grace because if you preach grace, people will get up to all kinds of mischief. So that is faced head on in the Bible. It doesn't say run away from grace, it says face up to it. So Peter says quite plainly, act as free men. Yeah. Act as free men. For, you might, it's hard to believe the freedom that came to believers in Peter's day. When Peter was told, go to the house of Cornelius. And, and before he goes to Cornelius' house, he sees this sheep coming down from heaven. 
And the word from God says, come, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, no, 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 I don't eat that kind of stuff. I'm a good Jew, I don't eat that stuff. Then it comes again. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. I don't do that, I don't do that. Because, well, we don't do these things. And then he goes to the home of Cornelius, who's a Gentile. Well, you don't go into Gentile homes, you become unclean. And he walks into the Gentile home, he's scared, really. And, and, and they say, well, we're glad you came, tell us. So he's like, what am I doing in a Gentile home? I'm not supposed to be here. Then he starts preaching, and the Holy Spirit falls on the household of Cornelius. And he says, wow, God gives the Holy Spirit to people like this. You know, Gentiles, centurion, Roman pigs, the Holy Spirit comes on them. And he has to have his eyes opened. And now he's free to eat things he didn't know. I didn't know I was allowed to eat those things. It's like, do you mean I can eat pork and go to heaven? Yeah, yeah, you can eat pork and go to heaven quicker. So the freedom must have been amazing for these Jewish people. We, we are, allowed, are we allowed to do that? And they said, oh yeah, you are allowed to do that. You're allowed to do that. And so Paul said, Peter says this, act as free men. You're free now. You used not to be. Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand fast in your freedom. But Peter says, don't use your freedom as a cloak. Don't say, oh, I can do this now. And then get into foolishness that makes you a slave again. You prove your freedom by becoming a slave again. So again, Jude 4 says this, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness. There's that danger that we say, oh, I'm in grace, and get into licentiousness. The Bible's very plain. It's mature. It's able to look at this thing. It doesn't, oh, don't preach grace. It gets you. No, no, preach grace. Teach grace. But don't use it to get into licentiousness. The Bible is very clear. Again, in 1 Corinthians 6, 12, all things are lawful. What a statement. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but I'm not going to be mastered by anything. There's a freedom in the New Testament that is amazing. But Paul says, I'm not going to be mastered by something. I'm not going to show my freedom by getting... So it's like I used to be a teetotal guy. I was backslidden, I used to get drunk, I came to Christ, I gave up everything, even gave up my jazz records, foolish, I gave up all sorts of stuff, because I thought that's my old world, I gave it up, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't toast the bride and groom, because no, I'm not touching that stuff, and I took out a, a non-alcoholic driving license, I mean, I'm, I'm absolutely out of it, and then I start reading the Bible, I think, hey, wait a minute, Jesus drank wine, he's a wine bibber. Some people say, it wasn't real wine. Oh, I see. He was a fruit juice drinker. You know. <laughs> he was a fruit juice bibber. That's why he got such a bad reputation. No, I see in the Bible, oh, okay, they did drink wine. Okay. Now, the danger is this. Okay, so they do drink wine, so it's okay. So I'm going to drink lots of it and lots of it and lots of it to prove my freedom. No, you don't. The Bible says drunkenness is out. Yeah. Don't get drunk with wine. It's very explicit. Don't say, oh, in grace, I can do all sorts. Hey, be careful. It doesn't say don't preach grace. It says don't push it to such a place you get into trouble. The Bible's mature enough to be able to handle that. We don't want to be immature. Say, oh, don't go anywhere near it. No, the Bible doesn't say that. It says grow up in all things into Christ. Walk godly. That's what we're invited to do. So don't make 
grace in vain. Don't make it in vain by legalism. Don't make it in vain by license. Another one, don't be in vain by not listening to other believers. Right? How do I, let me just show you a few verses. Paul said, I submitted my gospel to the other apostles, lest I should run in vain. And one time he says, look, if anybody preaches a different gospel to me, let him be accursed. If an angel preaches a different gospel to me, let him be accursed. You think, boy, this guy's pretty sure of himself. Then in the same epistle, the same letter, Galatians, he said, I went to Jerusalem, I submitted my gospel to those who were in Christ before me, Peter, James, John, and they gave me the right hand of fellowship. He was respectful of those who were in Christ before him. He cared about what, what does the church really teach? He didn't want to go off on a tangent, lest the grace of God should be in vain. And Paul is saying, don't do that. I, as, a, as an old guy, I've had the privilege of seeing loads of young men come through. It's such a privilege. I love it. It's such a privilege. One of the saddest things is when you see a young guy come through and then he becomes preoccupied with one doctrine. He becomes a single-issue Christian. And they just, you just think, you can't, no, no, have you read this? Uh, yeah, I read it. This is the key. This is, this, have you, this, is, this is the key to Christianity. This is the whole thing. No, no, it's just a thing. It's just, they become single issue. It's all, it's all they're taken up with. They're just taken up with it. Think, come on, there's a whole body of doctrine. And to see a super young guy or girl get into, oh, no, this is, this is the answer. And Paul says, I'll make the grace of God in vain. I go off on a tangent. And sometimes you can find that with people. It's just the one thing. You know, if you don't bless Israel, you're in real trouble. What, what, what's that all about? Where's that? No, only you've got to do it's just one thing. That's all they live for, one thing. If ever you speak to them, this is the thing. Yeah. And Paul says, no, no, I want to preach. I want to see the whole thing, yeah. lest I make the grace of God in vain. I become a single-issue Christian. Don't go there. Don't go there. You'll rob yourself of all that God has. And the last thing, what the text actually says he says, his grace to me was not in vain because I worked harder than any of them. So hard work and grace are not enemies. Right? We need to get this. Hard work and grace are not enemies. It's like, oh, you work hard. How do you know about God's grace? Yeah, have a break. Have a break. You need to learn about grace. Why are you working so hard? Paul said, his grace to me was not in vain. I worked hard. Right, so they're not enemies. They're not enemies. We don't have to have an image of grace, which means, oh, just sit down, put your feet up. You're in grace, aren't you? Come on. And Paul says, his grace to me was not in vain, because I worked hard. Now, he's not working hard to justify himself. That's all done. You don't have to justify yourself. I don't have to impress God. I'm, I'm hidden in someone who's already impressed him. Hallelujah. I'm in Jesus. I'm not working hard to prove myself. Paul is released through grace. I said, I work harder than any of them. Yeah. You, look at, you look at his story. Wow, this guy. He's absolutely burning flame for Jesus. Grace has set him free. By the grace of God, I am what I am. It's all God's free grace, but I work hard. Then this strange thing, yet not I. Oh, come on, Paul. Don't confuse us. I worked hard, but not I. Who's working hard, Lord? Paul, who's working on? I worked harder than any of them, yet not I. But what? But the grace of God that's with me. Oh, so it's grace from beginning to end. Yeah. It's the grace of God that's working in him. 
Now, what does that mean? Well, it does not mean this, that we receive grace, we say, thank you, Lord, for saving me, thank you for coming to me, I will repay the debt by working hard the rest of my life. Thank you for grace that gradually goes back into that day when I received grace, I got saved, and from now on I'm going to work hard. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that. Sometimes we, we think of Christianity as repaying the debt. Sometimes Christian songs say things like that. Christianity is not repaying the debt. You can't. It's vast. You can't repay the debt. It's all free. Hallelujah. So he's not, he's not saying, I'll repay the debt that I owe. No, you won't. And nor is it saying this, I work hard like an underwater swimmer I'm working hard, I'm working hard. And sometimes I come up for, ah, 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 bit of grace. Oh, now we'll work hard again. And then we come on Sunday morning. Hope I'll get some grace. Ah, ah, oh, God, it's a good word. Thank you, lovely, after worship. Back to work again. Back to work again. Come up for a bit more grace. Oh, so, no, it doesn't say that. Yeah. It doesn't say that. Yeah. It says, I worked hard, yet not I, but the grace of God that's with me does the work does the work. It's the gift of God that's working. Yeah. It's not I come up for a bit of grace. I enjoy grace in the work. I'm given grace to do it. Grace operates. Paul says, I serve with all the energy that he mightily inspires within me. Amen? It's grace all the way. It's not rules and laws that cannot impart anything. I'm married to Jesus who imparts life grace, energy, my spirit within you, all the power that he mightily inspires. So Paul says, I'm working hard. You actually, do you know, it really isn't me. It's the grace of God. I find the energy of God kicks in. It kicks in. Sometimes we're praying, we think, oh Lord, it's hard to pray. Then suddenly you find, whoa, I'm feeling I'm stirred to pray. I'm stirred to pray. Think, wow, I'm praying in the spirit. God is suddenly helping me, helping me. I mentioned last evening about the lady gifted with the gift of hospitality. A dear, sweet lady I know well. You know, when you went to her home, she didn't think, wow, that was hard work. I wish there was a Mary to help me. Poor, it's a real Martha complex. No, she said, that was fun, wasn't it? You think, wow, but that was jolly. How did you serve all those people? Oh, I loved it. Loved it. You mean, yeah, I just feel grace in doing it. When we first put on a Bible week at home, like thousands of people going to attend a Bible week, I thought, wow, how'd you do that? Okay, we'll do it. I'm terrified. How would you organize a camp for like 30,000 people? How do you do that? And I have a friend called Nigel who said, hmm, that sounds fun. We'll get to grips with that. And by the time we finished the Bible week, there were a thousand job descriptions. Hmm, that was fun. Loved it. What was that all about? You sometimes people will say to you after you preach, aren't you exhausted? Do you know, actually, I feel a bit exhilarated. Yeah. I feel a bit exhilarated. Sometimes your body's a bit weary, but hey, why? Because it's not I, but the grace of God. By the grace of God, I am what I am, Paul says. And his grace to me was not in vain, for I worked harder than any of them, yet not I. Not I, but the grace of God that's with me. God wants us to live by grace, okay? Not by law, not by having to keep these rules, but by this new, wonderful gift of righteousness, which means I can go to my Father anytime. 
clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and find that he's with me. He's for us. He's in us. He's with us. Amen? We're a grace community. It says of the early church, great grace was on them all. That's what we want, a community where great grace, where we've all stepped out of legalism and all trying to find merit. No, no, it's all done. God's done it. Given this new identity. I know who you are. This is who you're going to be. I free you. I give you a new identity. Run with it. Fly with it by the grace of God. Father, I just pray that your word will do us good this morning, that truth will set us free to follow you with all our heart, to fly into the purposes you have for us. Let your grace be the wind under our wings, lifting us into your presence, enjoying your sweet favor. Let your word do us good, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.